What I recommend, first of all, fake your fucking purpose. Like, you think I gave a shit about taking care of customers paying $7 for hamburgers? No, I didn't give a shit about that one bit. I don't give a shit about the french fries or the hamburgers. You know what I cared about? That my staff was happy. That my staff was exceptional. That we were the best team in the company. And so to give a better answer than that, is it is find inside of what it is that you're doing that you actually can feel prideful of. What can you be proud of that you're doing? What can you rest on and go, you know what, this is my purpose. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, we are crazy excited to have Nicholas Nick on with us today. Nicholas Nick has been in the data business serving real estate investors for six years. That's a lot because these companies typically don't last that long. He served over 7,000 customers, has a 99.8 five-star rating on his reviews, which is absolutely unheard of when it comes to data and working with real estate investors. And he has got some unbelievable facts, knowledge, stories, so on and so forth. But we're going to, like always, we're going to do narrative. But since Nick is not a real estate investor in the traditional sense, we're going to hit you with a question, Nick. On one of your videos on Facebook, you called yourself a empathetic asshole. <laughs> and I was very curious. And I watched the whole video. And it was late at night. And I watched the whole video. And I, but I wanted more. So can you dive into this and tell us what in the heck do you mean by being an empathetic asshole? Okay, great question and great research. And it sounds like I need to make a new version of that video. Um, but, let, wow, let me, let me get you the right answer here. So, I, I, I got a big heart. I got a big heart. You know, I was a restaurant manager for 13 years. Um, and when you're a restaurant manager, you're, you're everyone's daddy, right? Daddy, daddy. I, my customers have said, daddy, daddy, but we got an issue over here. And you're just, you end up, you end up being good at being everyone's dad. You know, and to be honest with you, I had a pretty badass dad, right? You can't be a great dad. Well, you can, excuse me, but it's a lot easier to be a great dad when you've had a great dad. And so I really kind of learned these things. However, my dad was such an asshole, you know, and uh, he really had like, I remember everything was eye for an eye with my father. Okay. If I didn't bring the trash down, he put the trash in my bedroom. Okay. And I remember one time I used a face shaver with the beard like this. I've been growing a beard since I was like 15, which is really annoying to your father in case anyone's wondering. And I used to go and shave with this razor and leave it in my bathroom. And then one day I woke up and I went to use my computer and it was gone. And I was like, where'd my computer go? And then I go in the bathroom and it's right next to his razor with a note on it that says, do you see what happens when things aren't where you left them? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you mix that with, you know, my journey, my story, you know, and the truth is, guys, you know, I've really climbed up from nothing. You know, my parents, we were poor growing up, you know, um, I was a restaurant manager for a long time, you know, uh, and I have definitely climbed my way up out of situations. Now, that's where the empathy comes in, you know, and where the asshole comes in is a lot of the directness. I'm very direct. I don't like wasting time. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I just want to be clear. I want to be straight, you know, and that's where a lot of the asshole comes in, you know, so it's really this, you know, unique thing. And it took me a long time to balance it, right? I think empathetic asshole is the definition of some people love me and some people hate me. And, you know, I've really been growing through that over the years. And I've actually done a really good job at marrying the two. Um, or I've done a good job at surrounding myself with people that are more accepting of me. <laughs> I don't know what exactly has happened, but um, definitely less friction in my life than, you know, there, than there used to be. Love it. And in that particular video, you were in the middle of describing what almost would seem like a midlife crisis. And you, the conclusion was that it wasn't quite a midlife crisis, but you were stuck. And, and I found this to be very interesting. You were stuck in the tension between your goals and your dreams 
and the fact that your parents were aging and you, you detailed some of the health struggles, so on and so forth. So yeah. what I'd love to know is given that this was a little bit of time ago, not like a long, long time, can you give us like an update? Like, and can you answer the question, how do you balance these thriving companies, all your goals and dreams and the reality of the stuff that hits us in life? The other things that are important. Dude, I mean, honestly, there's, I've been in restaurants for 13 years. I'll probably say that 75 times during this podcast because it's such a big part of my story. And I was taken away from everybody all the time. So my real answer to that question is you can only take the time to handle those things when you are an entrepreneur, right? Like if I, dude, you think my boss gives a shit that my dad's got cancer for the fifth time? He doesn't. Well, who cares, Nick? We still got 50,000 customers walking in this month, bro. You know, they don't care about your dad's cancer. I don't care about your dad's cancer. We can't stop and slow down to do this. You know, and what happens is it's a trap, right? My work was my meditation, but it was my problem. And one of the big things that happened was I was diving into work too hard. And then when I realized I couldn't connect with family, I dove into work even harder because I can't connect with family. I can more connect with these other people. So, you know, for me, it was really being an entrepreneur is the only way to really live this life. My other skill set, restaurant management, doesn't make room for any of this. I had no time for anything. I had no, you know, I could, true story, even though it's falling out a little bit now, but I shaved my head. Every year I was a restaurant manager, not because I thought I looked good with the shaved head, but because all of my bandwidth was so taking up, I didn't even give a fuck what the man in the mirror looked like. I was just getting up and going to work. And so long answer, but the answer is being an entrepreneur is what makes that real and is what gives me the opportunity to balance it. If I was working a nine to five, I, I'm having a panic attack right now just thinking about what I would do if I had and just and, and try to accomplish that. And the update part is uh, my dad's had cancer five times. He's beaten it every time. He's cancer-free right now, which is crazy. And uh, it's also crazy how someone goes to being on their deathbed to being annoying really quick. And I'm like, oh, you're alive and you're healthy. Oh, you're annoying me again. How did that, how did that happen? And, and I love all the emotions that brings up too, right? And, uh, but it's so amazing to have him back in full force. You know, he's still recovering. Um, you know, one thing I've learned, if I can just speak some wisdom real quick on everyone is, you know, the older you get, the harder you fall. You know, G.I. Joe taught us the bigger you were, the harder you fall. That's not true, you know. And my dad, when he got cancer for this fifth time, he went in the hospital looking like he was 57, you know. And he came out after four weeks looking like he was 77. And, and now he literally has to break the rust off, which is really hard at that age to really get there. And it's been life-changing for me in several other ways because I'm 37, you know, and as much as we don't want to believe that, that is midlife, you know, average life expectancy is 74. I am the epitome of midlife right now. And even I have had back pain for like two years. My back just gets stiff. And the truth is that back pain in 20 more years, if left untreated, if left unaddressed, you know, is going to take you down because you are not going to bounce back up like a spring chicken anymore, you know? So, um, huge updates. Dad's doing better. Huge reminder of life and vitality and how thankful we are to have everything. And then an even bigger reminder on how thankful I am to be an entrepreneur, to be able to dive into these thoughts and these experiences without having to worry about, you know, accomplishing someone else's priorities lack of a better term. Love this. And so I'm going to talk about integration here. So this is an integration between your life, your business life and your personal life. And you grew up in Lakeland and yeah. you shot a video where you talked about how you think people should move away from where they grow up so that they don't carry 
some of those beliefs. Can you talk about how you integrate staying connected to the people that you love, your family, staying connected to maybe even the positive parts of your past, but not being controlled and defined by them? Yeah. So man, your past is crazy. I think that, you know, I wasn't a straight A student, you know, I was, uh, I was tough. I was tough to be around. I was tough to parent. I was tough to work with. I was tough as fuck, like not even like strong, but you know, my friends, they would always be like, I didn't even know. They're like, Nick, you know, you punch us every time you walk up to us. Could you, could you stop punching us? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't even, like, I was so full of aggression when I was younger that I didn't know what to do, you know? And I think we all have, I, I'm using the word aggression, but I think we all imagine our younger selves as so much of something. Okay. I was too much of this, or I was too much of that, or I was too much of this, you know? And I was forced to leave my hometown. Okay. Uh, I got, I got divorced and then God works in mysterious ways. One month after my divorce, my job is like, you're moving, we're moving you to Phoenix. And I was like, that's great. This is great. You know, now I'm not going to get back with my ex-wife, you know? And because the truth is I do fight hard for relationships and, you know, and I, and I wasn't even given that opportunity to, and that's actually great. I mean, of course we fought hard before we got to divorce, but you know, had I not been physically separated in such a big way, you know, we're still friends till today. You know, she actually works for me for that update <laughs> for everybody, which is super freaking cool. You know, um, what was the question? <laughs> So the, <laughs> you're doing great. The, the question was about integration. So yeah. essentially like the, the limiting beliefs, the, the way that you're held to your former identity when you live right. in a town right. and how right. escaping can. Yep. Yeah. And so what happened was I was pulled out of this hometown. And what I'm getting at is it's not as easy as I'm making it sound by just saying, move away from your hometown. Okay. I was literally pulled right out of it. Like the crane game. Okay. I then moved to Phoenix. I don't know anybody. And the first place I stop at is they're like, Oh, why don't you live in this other guy's apartment? Okay. Well, that other guy hasn't washed his sheets in months. And this is not a joke. Okay. And let's just say living in someone else's apartment really sucked. So anyways, I went through a lot leaving my hometown. I had, I was a big boy now. Couldn't just call my parents. I couldn't just call my friends. No one's around to bail me out. Like it's like being on Mars when you just pick up and move. You know, all I had was my CEO and then he didn't even like me that much. Okay. Um, so anyways, I spent all this time in Phoenix. I became my own person. Then I'll never forget driving back to Lakeland and feeling that bubble, right? I literally almost like I could see a dome of impression on me to be the old me as I drove through it, like, am I, I'm in Lakeland now, I'm by my high school. Do I need to behave like a high schooler? Am I, do I need to still wear the stigmas of a high schooler? So to answer the question, integration comes with understanding that the asshole that you think you were made you the badass that you are today. And I look back and I cringe on some of the things I've done in the past, but you know what? I would rather I would rather bully kids as a 12 year old than bully kids as a 30 year old. And the reality is that's exactly what happens. I have friends that are adult bullies. Okay. And because they were never a bully when they were a kid, they don't even know how stupid they look. Okay. And I respect and understand that all of our journeys are different. And I was thankful of the ailments <laughs> that I had as the youth, because the reality of life is I would rather have those ailments as a youth than an adult. And I was able to work through all of that bullshit as a kid. So I didn't have to carry it into adulthood. And so, you know, for me, my integration comes with killing the regret inside of me on maybe what I did, things I've said, and also if I'm being fair, I've changed. I'm not just saying I've changed. 
I've gone to people I've hurt. I apologize. I've gone to people I've ripped off and paid them back. Like I've done the 12 step program for alcoholics, but with bad behavior. Okay. And so I think that that last sentence is really the integration part and just putting your past to bed and understanding it's a part of why you're so wonderful now. And if I was really wonderful as a kid, then I would be going through my rebellious phase right now. And I would be doing a bunch of shady behaviors as an adult. And you know what? I can really hurt people as an adult. As a business owner, I can steal and rip them off and do all kinds of hurtful things. You know, as a kid, I definitely don't agree with hurting other kids, you know, because um, that really sucks. And I did, I did hurt some people, you know, growing up. Um, but very true story. I've literally, thanks to social media, found, I would say 80%, if not 90% of the people that I've affected and apologized and made it right in some way, shape or form. And that's also a part of the integration. Like I said, I'm not just like, I stopped. Not only did I stop as I faced, I faced the things I've done and I've stopped as well. Unbelievable. And now you get the benefit of the change. You get the benefit of cleaning the the record and moving forward and like you said preparing yourself to be the badass that you that you are today one of the things that i find to be awesome and fascinating is it sounds like from a very young age you were very fixated on self-development on growing yourself on fixing the wrongs and so on and so forth and now you've gotten to a place where you posted well over a thousand days of mindset tips I'm not going to ask you what your favorite one is because that would probably be insanity at this point but what i do want to know is how has the process of doing it for over a thousand days impacted you as a whole? But then how has it also impacted you on how you go out and find wisdom since you're constantly uh, filtering through it? Well, and, and uh, great, great observation. So like one thing my friends know about me is like, I cannot stop talking about philosopher style shit, right? I don't even want to say philosophy, but I was like, why are they doing that? What's going on over here? What's it? Like, I'm like, and that's why often large friend groups don't work for me because my brain goes crazy with analysis. Like I'm like, I'm like over computing, you know? And so for me, um, integrating a lot of these positive things into my life has, has really become the normal. My father ingrained this in me. I think my father could really see that I was the son of a bitch growing up. And I think because he could see that he's like peppering in diplomacy. My dad said, always create a win-win. Always be diplomatic, Nick. Always hear everybody out. And looking back, I mean, my dad's a really smart guy. I'm sure he saw me running around hurting kids. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we're doing a couple things wrong here, son. But, you know, his message was very consistent. Now, as an adult, I've really adopted a lot of that thought process. My dad was very direct with me the same way I'm direct with everyone else. I think the number one thing he said to me in my teenage years is, Nick, you're just making bad decisions. You know, like that was, that was the number one thing he said to me, you know. And uh, But I've taken this analytical mind. And I, I had it when I was a kid. I remember just to share how far back it does go. And I do think that this is maybe something I would call a generational blessing because I was so young in this story that it could only be something that is passed down. You know, and I remember my parents were going to ground me for something I did in school, but I was like eight to 10 years old and I came home and I volunteered the information to them. And they said, what? You're grounded. You're going to get spanked or whatever the hell happens. And I said, uh, I said, I said, guys, if you ground me for telling this to you, I'm never going to come home and say anything like this to you again for the rest of my life. I said, so you can ground me. And that's cool. And I'll come home and I'll never divulge anything bad I've ever done again. And you'll only know when the teacher calls you. Or I can tell you, we can talk about this. And every time I come home and do something I shouldn't do, we can talk about it. I literally talked my parents out of punishing me when I was a kid, you know, and they, they knew I was right. And I kept my part of the story. I'd come home. I, I beat this kid up. Nick, you can't. Was he bigger than you, Nick? You can only mess with them if they're bigger than you. They have to start the fight with you first. And because of that, if we actually, this is all new to me. I'm having epiphanies as we speak, but I'm now having adult conversations about little kid shit. 
you know, and I really took control of that back. So program to today, the mindset tips, doing a thousand of these, you know, I have always been doing it. What I love is that I'm committed to stopping and posting. So my system is, if I'm even, other than in this podcast, but in most cases, if I say something brilliant, which has probably already happened a couple of times, but but we're, we're recording, we're recording. I'm just kidding. Go back. <laughs> then I will actually stop, or if I hear something like a friend or interjection, I'll stop and I'll make a post, mindset tip, 1042. And the challenge is, if I could really share with you on the mindset tip, is to take an idea and make it make sense. Because how often do we have an idea and we're like, ah, mm, you know, I don't know if I could summarize that in two sentences, right? And so for me, the fun part has actually become conveying the thought, conveying the idea in a way that can hit people without making them feel alienated. You know, my mindset tips don't tear down. They only lift up, you know, and I think it's very easy to go, don't do this, do that. I don't even say don't do this. I just say do this, you know, and I try to communicate in a way that doesn't alienate. And so after a thousand, that's been my biggest thing is getting my point across in a way that doesn't just make sense up here, but makes sense out there. What a tremendous answer. I mean, I love, you know, brevity is kind of king. So what you just explained is like the true knowledge is being able to say something succinctly so that, you know, like a five-year-old can understand it essentially. Right. So, I mean, brevity is amazing. Right. If it takes you 10 pages to work out a thought, you probably don't have a good grasp of that thought yet. Um, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I think this is important based on your energy levels and everything like that. You had mentioned your aggression when you were younger. Um, so let's just call that negative energy. So what have you done with your life? in order to redirect that negative energy into a positive direction. Wow. Wait till you hear this answer. I just told us I'm actually filming a course right now. And I just added this in there. And it's very so. And it's funny thing about my course, like you said, if it takes forever, each topic literally is like a 60 second thing. It's like, I'm not talking for 20 minutes. Cause like you said, I am so direct and I'm more of a philosophy guy, you know? So, your question was, what have I done to flip the script on my negativity? And the answer is, I made a deal with myself a long time ago. Again, I was a little kid and I had a bunch of scary thoughts. My dad was very skeptical. Okay. Don't go in the yard at night. Don't go past this house. Don't hang out with them. Don't hang out with that uncle. Okay. You know, that kind of, some of that skepticism is good. Okay. But you know, he was a very skeptical person and that really ingrained into my head. And I caught myself constantly leaning towards, Oh, Oh, Oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I decided to start balancing every negative thought with a positive one. And as soon as I started doing that, and then I would realize, I'd be like, what if this happens? I'd be like, well, what if this happens? You know, next thing comes up, well, what if this horrible thing happens? Well, what if this amazing thing happens? I made a deal with myself and however equally negative my thought was, I had to say something as equally positive. Okay. And what ended up happening, this is literally accidental training, is the good thing ends up happening more often than the bad thing. Oh, my boss is going to chew my ass. Oh, I got a raise. Oh, my God, I'm going to be in trouble. Oh, they said I did a great job. Oh, my God, you know, they're going to be mad. Oh, they're happy with me, right? And so when this happens over and over again, I stop thinking about the negative thing, right? And it's like, and also one important thing is I didn't force the negative thought. I just asked myself, what's the opposite of this negative thought? Because sometimes it's easier to say what's the opposite than it is to say be positive, okay? And so I literally tricked myself. I swear I was 12 to 13 years old when I started this practice. And I was, but you know what? If someone said that to me as an adult, I'd say, shut the fuck up. That's the dumbest thing. So it's one of those things you can really only start as a kid because you're so you're still optimistic, right? you know, if you're negative until you're 25, 30 years old, you might not, you might not come back. You know? Oh my God. I love that answer so much because it resonates with me very much. Um, so I do the same things with positive thoughts too. 
because I think the perfect balance mm. in the world is neutrality. So, you know, if you think everything's yeah. going to be amazing, it's a good idea to balance out and try to analyze what might go wrong. Right. Because I tend to be overly enthusiastic sometimes. <laughs> so it's right. Um, Which I yeah. suffer from. I, uh, Which I, you know, and, you know, and one thing I heard that really supports what you just said, and I don't do what you just said, but I should start. But as they said that people that are in bad news, bad news, bad moods make better decisions. And it's because they're more skeptical. And I thought that that was really powerful because I'm not in a bad mood very often. And I don't make bad decisions, but I learn the hard way. You know, I'd be lying if I, I I'm a sprinter. I'm, I'm, woo, let's go, baby. Bam, brick wall. Okay, all right. I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I can take it. And, you know, and I've come to terms with liking hitting the brick wall. But if I'm being fair, the older I get, uh, the, the, the less I'm enjoying that. And I think if I employed a little bit of that skepticism during my sea of optimism that I throw at everything, um, it will, it will help me temper out. So that's awesome. This is so fun. I have three quotes that I wrote down from the mindset tips that I thought were my, my favorites. So one was talking about when you're chasing money, right? You lose purpose. Yeah. So the second one was in regards to you could be rich in general, or you could be rich in opportunities. Like, so, and then the third Mm -hmm. one was regarding being passive, which I thought was really cool, which is essentially if you're passive, you just don't know how to solve your own problems. I love that quote, dude. Dude, Passive aggressive is my, like one of my favorite topics. Okay. So two things about passive aggressive behavior that I'll share, and it's going to stink because we're all fucking passive aggressive. Okay. But if you're passive aggressive, it means you don't know how to solve your own problems. Right. So if you're like, Oh, Oh, so we're just going to be late today. That's what we're going to do. What are you trying to say? Do you not want me to be late anymore? Are you completely disturbed about me being late? Do you want to create a system that stops me from being late? You know, or do you just want to sit here and bitch every day? Right. And so it's like really come up with a solution, either come to terms with me being late or be a good coach and talk me out of it. Right. And so passive aggressive, when you're constantly making those statements, here's the other thing that happens. Passive aggressive is also victimhood. Okay. When you're being passive aggressive, you're like, Oh, Oh yeah. What about this? And then all day you're like saying all these remarks and the person's going to go, shut up. Damn. Back up. Don't talk to me like that. And you're going to go, what did I, what did I do? What did I do? I was just, I was just making jokes. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun. You know, now you're losing your cool, you know? And so it's like, it really is total victimhood, right? It's you're waiting for the other person to explode. So they solve the problem for you. You know what? hundred percent. It's outsourcing. That's exactly what it is. Outsourcing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. This is on you and I'm just going to bitch. It's actually, it's, it's, it's negative outsourcing, right? It's like outsourcing and then asking them to pay you. Right. Yep, exactly. Like you're not even paying for the service. You're like, you know what? I'm going to inconvenience you so great that I'm going to force this outsourcer. You're exactly right. <laughs> and make you feel bad while you're doing it for me. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Take us into the other ones. So, so when you talk about chasing money mm-hmm. causes you to lose your purpose, like kind of go deeper on that. So, you know, hopefully too many of my friends don't see this, but you know, I recently got connected with a bunch of people. And I think that they're deal chasers and they don't actually make money through purpose. They're like, oh yeah, I found this car. I flipped it. Yeah, I found this house. I flipped it. Yeah, I found this thing. I flipped it. And and I'm not saying that flipping houses is that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there's people out there that are just living their life one big fucking deal at a time, you know? And I'll be honest with you. I think they're losing their purpose. 
because they're constantly in this ebb and flow of peace and right. Oh, okay, good. I just made a million dollars. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to chill for three months, but my, my spending is so high after three months, I'm going to start freaking out and have to find my next million dollar deal. Okay. And then they don't even care where the next million dollar deal comes from. That's where they start to lose the purpose. Now they're just like, now they're just running at whatever's going to get me paid, whatever's going to get me paid. And so to maybe help clarify the chase of the money leads to the desperation and the desperation causes a loss of purpose is what happens because you no longer care. You no longer have a standard. You're just searching for something that's going to pay your bills for the next six months or a year rather than, you know, creating something sustainable and long lasting. Now, if I'm being fair to that judgment, that sounds pretty rude. Because you know what? Maybe I got lucky. I created a business and my business provides me with a lot of income. So let me flip that whole mindset tip and give you the gratitude. The gratitude is I'm so thankful that I've created an engine that pays me every day of my life. And I don't have to worry about if it's big, if it's small, if it's whatever, it's there. And so I try to flip sometimes, even when I do have those perspectives, like I just explained, and I go, where am I missing an opportunity for gratitude? And a great example of that would be, you know what, Nick, be grateful you've created a great business that is strong and thriving and doesn't need a lot of marketing or hands-on to continue to thrive, right? So that that's the flip side, because the real truth in that statement, when you chase money, you lose purpose. There's like a judgment there on saying that what that person has isn't very consistent and now they have to go out there and hustle to make it happen, you know? And so I just think that those are both sides of it and there's nothing wrong with the hustle. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe the compromise is that we don't just get lucky with big deals. Let's create a system that's constantly doing big deals. Let's create something that is real, that is tangible, that does give us purpose rather than just being a fluke at every chance that we get. How has financial freedom changed you? Um, man, I, I wish I could pull up a picture of me when I was 12. You would see how much it's changed me. I used to be the ugliest son of a bitch that anybody has ever seen. Um, I didn't have my hair grown out. I wasn't dressing well. Um, you know, that that's just on image, you know? And the real truth is, if you were watching this and you knew me in the fifth grade, you'd say mm -hmm. I'm the same person. You really would, you know? So if we look at it like that, financial freedom has allowed me to express more of myself authentically. And just like with this, I've, my living room is 360 degree murals. Okay. Like I'm literally surrounded by them. All right. And it's really encouraging to be authentic to be creative for me. You know, I have two cars, one's wrapped in gold, the other one's wrapped in purple and green and has a license plate that says the Joker. Everything I do is like wildly customized and wildly unique. And to be honest with you, I'm not that rich. I'm really not, I'm not that rich at all, you know? But I use my money in a way that definitely works for me. And I use it to authentically express myself. Like when you first meet me, you may think that I'm showboating if you meet me in person, because maybe you saw the purple Lexus first. But I can tell you one thing you probably didn't see on my Facebook wall was my purple Lexus or my gold Tesla. Okay. And it's because I don't lead with that shit on social media. That's my shit. These are, these are my toys. You know what I mean? That's not toys for me to incite other people in FOMO. You know, one of my big, tenants of being successful is I don't want to make you feel like you're missing out. Okay. I don't want to show you my vacations and rub salt in your wound. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to instill any negative energy in you. I want to, and this is why I do mindset tips. I want you to go to my page and be like, dude, this guy is lifting me up right now. I don't want you to go there and be like, oh, there he is with the Ferrari again. Okay. Oh, with the hot girlfriend. Oh, you know, oh, you know, it's like, we, I don't want to rub that off on people. So I've been able to express myself authentically. And if I could summarize that in a word is I find the way I use things is very practical. I find the way I spend my money to be practical. And it's at least, I know practical is relative. 
you know, but for me, that practicality is functionality. If I can take one thing and use it three to four different ways and get joy from it, you know, one little story is um, I was at CVS and this father was with his daughter in front of me and the father was being really nasty to his daughter. Okay. And I was really frustrated by it and I wanted to say something. And then my purple and completely cuts. It's really cool. I'll send you a photo when we're done. But my, my purple car uh, is sitting out front. It's got a big body kit on it and stuff. And, uh, and the guy goes, oh my God, honey, look, honey, look. Wow, look how cool that car is. And I said to myself, how ironic is that? I was hoping I could help this little girl. And you know what? Bringing a smile to someone's face while they're grumpy is probably the best thing I could have done for her. You know, and I didn't even have to do anything, but I own the car, you know. And so something like that, honestly, was like really big for me to be in that situation. And then we we don't even realize the things we do, how they inspire others around us, how they make other people feel. When I show up in a purple and green car, people always tell me how much they love it. And it's not that they love it. It's that I can't believe you fucking did that to your car is really what they're, they're, they're appreciating. My authenticity is really what they're doing, you know, with their, with their compliments. So I think that that's how it's changed me is understanding that authentic has a very huge value on this planet. Absolutely correct, man. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think there's really much that has less value than true authenticity. And dude, you are lifting me up right now. So this conversation is awesome. So let's keep it going. Um, I, uh, I'm total agreement with you. The more you lean into your true self and discover your true self and lean into your purpose, basically, the better off you become and the better off your yeah. life becomes. Okay. So I think we were talking about something a little bit earlier. I'd like to get back because I think we might've had some light bulbs going off for some people that are chasing money and they're running into problems like you were talking about before. So somebody like that, that's chasing money and they are not chasing purpose. What would you tell them in order to help them find their purpose? I, I love this. So what I recommend so first of all, fake your fucking purpose, okay? Fake it, you know? Like, you think I gave a shit about taking care of customers paying $7 for hamburgers? No, I didn't give a shit about that one bit. I don't give a shit about the French fries or the hamburgers. You know what I cared about? That my staff was happy. That my staff was exceptional. That we were the best team in the company. I'm not out there like, oh, fucking customers are the best, right? And so to give a better answer than that is it is find inside of what it is that you're doing that you actually can feel prideful of. What can you be proud of that you're doing? What can you rest on and go, you know what? This is my purpose because it's in there. And right now you might be frustrated at work and I'll, I'll be real with you guys. I'm not the average entrepreneur. I don't hate on nine to fives. I love nine to fives. My nine to fives built me, okay? My restaurant jobs, my shitty bosses, my other crappy coworkers, they made me who I was. And if you don't go through life welcoming the worst freaking scenarios, then you're going to be disappointed every freaking day. And one thing I do is I go in. I remember one day I called my dad. And I said, dad, the cooler broke. I was in the restaurant. The cooler broke. I had to fire two people. A customer chewed my ass and I had the best fucking day ever. It's like, it doesn't matter. And I think to have that attitude, we have to understand that other point I was making about our past and how it's serving us. I didn't realize at that time, another lesson, my father always said, Nick, you're getting so much experience. But you're getting so much experience, Nick. It's priceless. It's priceless, Nick. That's what he always said to me. And again, he proactively implanted that stuff. And so when things got ugly, I was like, I'm getting experience right now, okay? <laughs> I'm learning how to deal with customers trying to get me fired. I'm learning how to deal with employees saying, I, I, had, a, I had a male employee once who was two or three times my size tell the boss that I cornered him and grabbed his penis, okay? I had that happen. This guy was huge, 
He was huge. And I was that I'll never forget. Uh, but, you know, that's what people do. That's what people do. Those are the things you're coming up against. You could sit there and say, why me? Why am I going through this? But that's why you're going through it. So let me let me create a little better answer. If you're having a hard time finding purpose, then that is your purpose right now. Finding your purpose and sifting through all the hard times it is to find it. Then you have to ask yourself, are you taking enough risks? Okay. One of my favorite modalities of working out is a simple example is I, I do boxing on my virtual reality headset. All right. I've been doing it for over a year. I think a lot of people don't take risks. Like a risk would be like, I'm going to work out. Cool. Well, I'm going to work out in VR. What? That sounds stupid. Okay. Well, you know what? I tried it and I loved it. And now it's a it's big awesome. part. Yeah. It's yeah. Aw- especially the boxing, you know? And so it's, it's so much fun. And so I think what they do is they don't find purpose because they're also not pursuing purpose enough, right? If you're not taking risks, if you're not being innovative, you might not be coming across the purpose. You're, you're missing opportunities for purpose. So look forward in what you're currently dealing with. And if you can't find it, understand that the struggles you're currently going through are going to lead you to your purpose. That is your purpose. You're on the path to purpose. The only time you're not on the path to purpose is when you're done learning. So if you're still learning, cut yourself some slack. But if you're making the same mistakes every day, you miss the boat. You know, that's probably one of the bigger indicators. So you go through the restaurant business, you go through the nine to fives, you go through all the difficult times being young and all of this is a breeding ground. And then all of a sudden you start this business and things blow up. Well, uh, Can you describe a little bit about that early success, how quickly it happened, and then maybe some of the attributes you felt like came from the purpose you developed and the skills you built and why it just, you went from zero to financially free very, very quickly. Right. So, so I'll give you a real short version of the story of what happened and then I'll, I'll plug in some details. So restaurant manager for 13 years, I walked out of that job. I ended up becoming an exec or an assistant at another company that taught people how to invest in real estate. I ended up climbing the ranks there, becoming an executive there. And then I worked there for two more years. Then when I started I requested to work from home at the end of that two years. And I took all my free time and I put it into cold calling myself, right? So we have a cold calling, list pulling, skip tracing company is what is what my business is. And so I started cold calling every day myself, calling, 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 because I knew that I knew this was the way because we taught this to our students. I was like, well, I've seen other people get successful. It's my turn. So the way this business was founded was completely by accident. I was a restaurant manager and all I ever wanted to be was an executive. And then I was an executive and all I ever wanted to be was not an executive anymore. <laughs> and then after I became an executive, I didn't even realize it, but I didn't want to, I realized that also wasn't working for me as I'm climbing the ladder of life. That also wasn't, it also wasn't making it happen. So um, I'm going through the executive ship. I then land on this. I start cold calling every day. It's crazy. Now, the skills that kept me through, perseverance, right? I knew that my job was running out and I knew that I had to create my next phase in life. You know, restaurants really teach you perseverance probably more than anything. It's a 13-hour day. Your employees called out nine hours ago. You know the day is going to suck from the minute you walk in with restaurants, you know? I used to say that it is the Navy SEALs boot camp of business education. Okay. Like any, I, I, I trust a rest, a good restaurant manager over many other leadership positions that they say they came out of. So anyways, I'm making well, the actually, calls and let, some of let the me skills pause you here. If you don't mind. Is, um, so yeah. I don't know what restaurant you worked for, but I was an assistant GM at McDonald's when I was oh. 19. Um, so, I mean, that is like a high pressure, fast pace. It's lots of stress. I've never been that stressed in my life, like not even close. Nothing compares to restaurant management for me, like a real estate deal gone wrong. It's like, yeah. at least I'm not at McDonald's anymore. Um, like, <laughs> um, I, I need to dive into the restaurant background because I know that you've pulled a lot from it and you're using it today because like what my previous GM said, is like ketchup in your veins. You can't get it out. 
like the first time I got a new job after a restaurant, right. because like you're always timed before and like everything is on a schedule. Right. So right. like I was always like on a motor, yeah. like I'm moving way faster than everybody else because that was Everyone, how I was yeah. trained. So like, what did you pull from your yeah. restaurant management job that you're still utilizing today? The, quite literally everything, but hiring, firing, systems, quality assurance, um, you know, understanding that there's a solution to every problem. I solved everything. And the cool thing about me was I had so much ADHD that when the restaurant got crazier, I got calmer. I was like, oh, finally, yep. everyone's catching you up to me. On chaos. Oh, finally, yeah. every me too. I miss it sometimes, to be honest. Yeah. I miss it, bro. I uh, thought about getting a part-time job at a restaurant, except I know my first day I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing here? And I would walk right the fuck out. I do it because I do miss it that much, but I, it's a fantasy. What I miss is a fantasy. I miss the experiences. I miss the training ground. I don't miss an hour commute. I don't miss any of that. Um, but really the biggest thing I learned was how to make my employees happy. And to this day at Lead Mining, our secret is happy employees. The happier my cold caller is, the better results you're going to get. Okay. And so when, when, when these things happen, I've really learned to create great systems. My average employee has been with me for four and a half years right now. And we've been open for six and everyone works from home. And I'm not talking about executives because I don't have any. So the other thing the restaurant industry taught me is I don't need a lot of leadership. I know how to create a position and have someone follow it. Follow the position. Here's your job, go do it. Here's your job, go do it. Here's your job. And that has been incredibly successful for me. And so a couple of the awesome things there and, and the last and greatest skill that I'll mention is math. You know, every day you walk into a restaurant, you pull up the P&L. Yeah, you all heard that right. The profit and loss statement literally runs the restaurant, okay? You log in and you go, oh shit, Sally last night had too many people on. Now I have to cut three people just to make up for her having too many people on last night. In the restaurant world, when you spend too much one day, you don't just spend too much, you make it up in the future. If I wanted to take five, I worked, I worked at a bunch of restaurants, but IHOP. I worked at IHOP. And if you wanted to take your one week vacation, you had to work six days a week for five weeks to earn that vacation, which means it's not even a vacation anymore. You've put in, you, you've put in the time, but it's like, there is no surplus. This is probably a powerful lesson. There is no surplus in the restaurant industry. You have to create it. So I think one of the biggest things I got good at was creating that surplus, whether it was in your attitude or it was in the job position. You know, I would, and I was the guy that I, a couple of things. One, I was never the hardest working guy in the room. Okay. I was never the only hardworking guy in the room. And two, if you worked for me, we're both working our asses off. So that really carried a lot. And so even now in my business, I'm absolutely the busiest person in my business. You know, I'm not, I'm not the slowest. So those skills that ran through is always being the hardest worker, you know, making sure that my employees are extremely happy, making sure that the systems are set up so that they can be extremely happy, you know, and then on top of that, learning to deal with customers is probably, you know, I think I listed 20 things, but that's really, that's really all that. Dude, what from. a tremendous answer. Um, I loved the part about the chaos that you mentioned, like thriving on chaos. Um, yeah. If you haven't watched the TV show, The Bear, you need to watch it because the second to last episode catches a shift gone wrong to perfection. Like, I swear to God, my heart rate beat up, like just watching it because I felt it. Like, I felt like I was there and I felt like I was in charge because he just starts yelling at everybody. You know how it is, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Is this, um, is this the uh, one on FX? It was on FX. I think it's on Hulu right now. So it's, yeah. Dude, yeah, you, oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I started the that, second to actually. last episode. Yeah. Like it gave me yeah. PTSD. It was amazing. I, I mean, I loved it. Like, <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, the thriving on chaos yeah. 
it's it's a crazy thing. But let's get back into what you're doing now. So thank yeah. you so much for diving into the restaurant and and bringing that with. Yeah. Um, let's bring you back through your journey before I interrupted you. Yeah, absolutely. So the other part was the other part was um, I think the question was what brought me through to here and got me to where I am and then what lessons carried me through. So I was calling 500 people a day. Now, the early days, that was the question. What were the early days like when my company blew up? It was crazy. I was my only employee. I was making all the calls. I was doing all the invoices. I was doing all the follow-up. I was updating the spreadsheets. I was editing the videos. One thing I did when I taught myself how to cold call is I actually recorded myself every day on Zoom of me cold calling. And then at the end of every day, I was watching myself back and editing the videos. To this day, I have my first 22 days of cold calling recorded in a folder and it's video and everything. And it was amazing for me to go through this time and watch myself do something I sucked at, right? Like you get so much faster. Don't just do something you suck at, record yourself and rewatch it. Oh, I'm literally like this. Oh no, that, oh, it's embarrassed. No, oh, it was so hard for me to watch myself suck so bad. But that embarrassment, I'm a firm believer embarrassment is our best educator, okay? That embarrassment I felt, even though I'm by myself in my room, um, really allowed me to catapult my skills forward. But in the early days, I'll never forget, I had a breakdown, you know? And it was before I hired my first employee and I was getting no help. And I was, uh, the thing about the restaurant that can hurt me as I'm such a great worker, I don't ask for help until it's too late. Or I don't realize I need help until it's too late. So um, I literally, I have a breakdown one day. I quit my job. Uh, I actually quit my day job. And the day I quit my day job, I was having headset issues. And I get on my own. I'm the only cold caller. I'm, I'm everything. I'm sales. I'm employee. I'm everything. And this woman, the cold caller, a cold caller, she's a seller. She goes, you suck at this. Don't quit your day job. I was like, how did she know? How did she know I got quit my day job? Like, I literally quit it that day. You know, I start crying. And I realize that, you know, I'm taking on way too much myself. You know, I've got way too much going on. I can't be doing all this anymore. I hired a VA who's still with me till today. He's been with me for all six years, ever since we started. And I just, my trick was I started giving away everything that I hate. Okay. Everything I hated doing that I didn't need to do. Let me add that in there. Okay. Everything I hated doing that I didn't need to do, I gave away. And I'm a firm believer of being that kind of entrepreneur too. To this day, um, I'm editing my own course. I'm going through it. I'm filming it. I'm shooting it. I'm clipping it. I'm doing all of it. You know, I don't make enough money right now to outsource that. I mean, I probably do, but am I even good enough at it yet? If I outsource it, do I even know the process or what it takes? I love to do everything myself 10 to 20 times before I ever pass it off to anyone else. And, you know, some people will call me stupid for that or whatever, but you know what it does? It gives me a subtle form of control. And what that is, is as a restaurant manager, I did it all. So when I had a restaurant manager work under me, they couldn't say, it can't be done. Oh, no, no, it can't be done. It can't, it's going to be done. I did it. I did it. Now let me show you the way. And so that's the beauty of doing the work yourself is you can coach through obstacles and you can understand what your employees are going through, whether they're uh, maybe not doing what you said or not listening or taking too long or they're lying to you about what they're doing or whatever it is. Hey, that only took me one hour. Why is it taking you five, right? You kind of get additional control. So I want to transition now to the fact that you serve a lot of investors and agents and you have, it seems like refrained from going down that path and just sticking in your lane. So kudos to you on that because you could probably see a lot of the problems that agents have, the problems that investors have that might be tempting to come in and just do that job. Can right. you define 
what are what are the most common things that you're seeing as far as mistakes go agents and investors make they're lazy and not the kind of lazy that is like they don't want to do the work you know they're lazy in the sense that they pay us to send them leads and they don't call the leads man like you know oh that lead sucked oh why did it suck because they said they wanted four hundred thousand dollars did you talk to them no. Oh, okay. So maybe you should talk to him. Maybe there's two houses on that property. Maybe, maybe it's a lot of land. Maybe they got three houses. Maybe they got three properties. You know, it's like, you know, so many people, what they do is they talk themselves out of action taking, you know, this just didn't look right. This didn't look right. I had a, I had a, I had a person today get six leads on 600 dials, which is insane. And then she's like, it's not working. It's not. And I said, oh, oh, it's working. It is actually working better for you than most of my clients right now. You just, you just don't know it yet. All right. And so I, I find my, most of my day is spent reminding people that I am not a slot machine and that you do not stick a coin in and thousands of dollars pour out my butt. Okay, that is not what happens, all right? You're going to have to stick a coin in. The slot machine's going to break. You're going to have to figure out how to fix the slot machine. And then you're still going to have to stick another coin in there before you get cash to come out. You know, and so it's like I'm, my biggest job is reminding people that we're on a journey. We're playing a numbers game. And that, yeah, one in six leads don't close. That's very – those are common numbers. Now, if you got 20 leads and they don't close, I – told them, I said, you need to look at your processes because it's my job to send you leads. It's your job to close deals. And from what I'm looking at, we're crushing our job. And I say that in really a nice way, but I also want to remind them that they're complaining to me about their own performance as well. And if you are getting leads, you need to come up with your, what is stopping you? I have a saying, and I learned this when I taught myself to cold call, and that was, there's one thing you can say to every lead that will completely open them up. Are you going to find those words? And I think that that's what people aren't willing to do. They aren't willing to search for those words and they just want to go now. Now shitty lead. <laughs> awesome. What do you see as being the vision for your business over the next 12 to 18 months? You know, so I am going to launch this really cool continuity package that I think is really going to change everything. And that's what I'm filming the courses for now. Um, we, we already offer list pulling, skip tracing, cold calling, text messaging, SEO, CRMs. Uh, we're really like a real estate investor marketplace. My cell phone number's on the site as well, in case anyone's wondering. So if you have questions, that goes directly to me. You're not going to get someone else. And then you're going to call and you're going to go, oh my God, it really does go directly to you. <laughs> yes, it really does go directly to me. But what I've realized might be missing is like I was just complaining about, and that is some additional education to teach these people proactively. Because if you're getting six leads and you have a bad attitude, you're never going to close a deal, right? Like it's like, you should be thankful to have six leads. So if that's like frustrating you that you have leads in the first place, that's not a good sign that you're going to close deals, right? And so if I can get this education out there faster and sooner and better, then I'm going to do that. So what I'm creating is um, as a subscription package, it's going to be $99 a month. It's going to include my five courses for free, how to get leads, how to follow up with leads, how to convert leads, how to sell your leads. And I'm even throwing in my cold calling course. So it's really everything. And it's going to come with 2000 records pulled and skip traced every month of wherever you want, anywhere in the nation. So it's going to be a hundred bucks a month, five courses. I'm also going to throw in a monthly mastermind call and I'm going to give a permanent 10% bonus to all orders of it that you make on the website. So for signing up for this, you know, I, I, I know it sounds like an over delivery, but if you ever go to the website, everything we do is honestly over delivered. You know, it's, it's one of my 
foundations of entrepreneurship is just deliver so hard that they can't say no. Um, but I have a really strong feeling about that process. When I mix that with the courses and I mix it with actually giving them leads with phone numbers, they have everything that they need. And then I own a lead generation company that they could then hire to pursue those. You know, I think it's going to solve a big roadblock problem that people are currently having with education and action and, uh, and outsources. Wow. Um, that Definitely sounds like a tremendous amount of value for $99 a month, dude. I mean, I would pay 99 bucks a month for 2,000 leads. So the fact that you're doing <laughs> everything else on top of that, what an insane value. So, I mean, um, we will have a link to that in the description along with a coupon code as we discussed in the pre-show call. Um, Nicholas Nick, dude, this has been an absolute treasure um, your philosophy has been absolutely incredible. I could have talked with you for hours just on general thought processes. And um, to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. Embarrassment is your best educator. So I am giving you some homework. Go out there and do something that makes you look like a douchebag in the next seven days. Tell somebody that you know can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.